Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Edgar Allan Poe Paris. Want to freshen up your bleak existence? Try new Edgar Allan Poe Paris, the avant-garde line of room freshening essence. With new scents like Annabelle Lemon and Cherry Pit in the Pendulum, you'll be able to fend off that gothic sense of impending death, and you'll smell great doing it. Quoth the Raven, this room smells fantastic. Edgar Allan Poe Paris. Patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Long, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the round. Yes, 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 yes. Brave has given you a championship. A Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. now get ready this is the platinum sombrero podcast with your host dylan short and adam doc herbert Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair Media and our friends at MyBookie. MyBookie.ag, the number one place to go for any and all of you gamblers. College football season is now in full swing with a huge double dip coming on Saturday, whether it's A&M and Clemson or whether you're watching number 6 Texas take on number 9 LSU, do you want to throw some money on that game? If you haven't made an account with MyBookie, I don't know what you're waiting on. But now is the right time for you. You can use our promo code CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R, and they're going to double your initial deposit up to $1,000. So I'm sorry if you're a millionaire looking to uh, throw a couple hundred uh, a couple hundred million on there or 100000 on there. They can't match that. But say you want to throw in 100 bucks, they'll give you another 100 bucks. That's free money right there. That allows you to double your profit margin. Anybody who likes to bet anything is always betting football. NFL season is starting this Sunday as well with college football in full swing. Major League Baseball playoffs are coming into contention. And MyBookie.ag has you covered for any and all of your favorite sports. MyBookie.ag with premier customer service, all the most updated lines and numbers, and the easiest ones to navigate. Their website is super user-friendly. MyBookie.ag, they are our friends. I use them myself on occasion. I should probably use them a little bit more. That might be why my bank account is as low as it is. Maybe if I used MyBookie a little bit more. I might have a little bit more to scratch with, but don't be like me. Be smart. Go to mybookie.ag, sign up and use the promo code CHAIR. All right, Doc. We had a very fun time doing that q and I think you and I can both agree that was a, a lot of fun. 
Oh, there's a blast. Yeah, we should uh, we should do some more of those. I think we had some requests to do more of those, so we're going to do that. I really did enjoy it. Um, we actually went a little bit longer than I thought we would do in that, but uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to have that posted up on the website as well at some point, um, probably at some point uh, Thursday. You guys are listening to this Friday, so it'll probably already be out. I might be lazy and, and wait till Saturday, but it will be up. If you haven't seen it up yet, then just bombard me, and I will eventually get it done if for no other reason to, than to stop people yelling at me. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And for Braves fans this week, a lot of fun kind of describes the week we just had. Team is on a roll right now. You know, we've we've got a big test coming up here, but we took care of all those games they were supposed to take care of, beating, beating the Blue Jays, beating the White Sox, and uh, just kind of not playing down to the competition. Which is nice because there there had been a little bit of that going on for some of August with some some struggles against the Marlins. So I want to say that the Braves are seventeen and four since Sean Newcomb freaked out on the fire extinguisher. So uh, that that moment that wound up being kind of a, a really like a watermark moment for this team so far. There's still a little bit of ways to go, but I mean you can't really argue with the results. No, and it's six in a row. Uh, they, they've played really well. Uh, like you mentioned, it's just the White Sox and the Jays, you know, the same types of teams we were ragging on the Mets for, like, touting touting their streak on. But all you can control is what you can control. The Braves have managed to go out there and continue to win. Um, I'm excited about it. Big series, I think, coming up tomorrow. Uh, it is an off day on Wednesday, a, a, a big statement series. We're going to touch on why I'm getting annoyed about this talk a little bit coming up. But just looking at the Brave season as a whole, 32 games over 500. I believe it's the first time since 2003 they've made it to 32 games over, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, last time they were they were this much over 500. Uh, they were 101 and 61 on the last day of the 2003 season. So we've seen all season long how how special this team is, and that number really kind of bears it out. And for the record, the Braves are 67 and 35 since I got on a plane and went to Italy back in May. So good news, everybody. I'm moving. We're going to win the World Series. <laughs> Not only that, but the Braves have won 10 straight games at home. That is the highest number they have had since 2000, where they won 12 straight at home. So this series coming up with the Nationals, the Braves have a chance to break yet another record that they've been holding on to for 19 years. Um just another marker that shows you just how good this team is. And they're getting it from a lot of different people. The offense has started coming on track again. Josh Donaldson is in one of his hot streaks at the moment. Uh, Freddie was as well. Even Acuna's starting to come out of that slump a little bit. Uh, we'd been talking about it last week. He's been slumping ever since he got yanked from the game. Now, that's just fun to say. Uh, I don't think there's any direct correlation between there. Um, but it but it does... Uh, it was since he got yanked that he'd been struggling. Well, he's, he was hitting some balls really, really hard in the Toronto series. Hopefully he can transfer that over to this national series as uh, I'm about ready to put the Nationals away and just be done with this talking point. You brought up a really, really good point when we were, we were prepping beforehand about how everybody wants to talk about the, the Nationals are hot on the Braves' trail or tail. And when you look at it, after today, where the, the Nationals lost to the Mets, they lost two out of three in that series, and it took the most monumentally terrible inning from a bullpen uh, that Major League Baseball has, has ever seen, or t- top ten worst innings baseball has ever seen, for the Nationals to avoid being swept by the Mets. So as, as we go into the series, the Braves are seven games up. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, the first, first game of the series will have been played. 
So the lead could be six, the lead could be eight, but the Braves are actually closer to the Dodgers than the Nationals are to the Braves. So it is a really good talking point for all the national media where you've got your big markets. And I mean, everybody has been calling the Nationals as paper champions for years. So I think they're hoping that it's going to be some type of um, not self-fulfilling prophecy, but it may, maybe so. Like if you if you say it enough times, then eventually it's going to wind up being true. The amount of work that they're going to have to do to win the division is just, it's monumental. And and that's not to say they're not going to make the playoffs or sitting very pretty as far as a wild spot, wild card spot goes, but that's a one and done. You know, it's entirely possible that all of the hard work that they've done and best team in baseball since May the 24th could wind up being all for naught if, you know, they've got great pitching, but if Scherzer winds up going for the wild card game, I mean, he's kind of hurt right now. And Strasburg even for as good of a season as he has had. Or maybe they send Corbin out in, in case it's a lefty-heavy lineup. I mean, there, there's no guarantees about what they're going to be able to do. They have been playing great, but they haven't been able to gain any ground because the Braves have been just as good, if not better. As a matter of fact, they've actually lost some ground. And I hate that best team in baseball since May 24th. Who's the best team in baseball since May 23rd? It, it might also be them. I don't, I don't know. What about since May 22nd? What about since May 15th? What about since April 21st? I mean, that that's such an arbitrary number, and it's it's completely given out just to kind of drive uh, drive article clicks, I guess, is the right way to term it. It's, it's just to get people to click on, on what you're talking about and, and try to drag some readers in. You're right about that. But, like, and I've said it all along. You've heard me say it all year that the Nationals are a very talented team, but you and I were talking about it. They buried themselves in the first half, and this this weird notion that the Braves have to be careful or Washington's going to catch them, it's it's just not borne out in the facts. And it's I don't know if it's a product of Braves fans like to have something to give them an edge. Um, and as much as I hate talking about the Nationals in this sense because they're really not that close, at least it's better than these random people that are still dogging on Acuna for hustling. This time on a play, he actually beat out. People people attach themselves to their narratives, and they're they're so slow to let them go. I mean, if something winds up being being a talking point for only ten minutes, then that's then that's fine. We're we're in the in the era of short attention spans, and being able to actually pay attention to to something for ten minutes seems like it's actually pretty impressive anymore. But after a while, there's so many things that happen over the course of a baseball season that if you wind up drilling down on every single piece of minutia, you will drive yourself crazy. And that's that's one of those things people people got mad during the benching and it was like people were being forced to take sides. Like, oh I'm on Snit's side or I'm on Acuna's side or what like it doesn't have to be like that. Like we should all just be on the brave side and we should hope that everybody learns from this and Acuna goes back to mashing. You know, and and okay, so we didn't hustle on one play. You find yourself actively seeking out, oh, well, in the Colorado game, he didn't charge the ball enough in the in the inning on Dom Nunez's double, and then Colorado wound up scoring. So that's an, another strike against Acuna. And it's it's like it's like watching Fulty. The thing about his, his emotions has been so overdone and so pronounced, and God knows, I've written about it, you've written about it too. So we have we have obviously fed the machine here, but now Whenever somebody's watching Fulty start, as soon as he even gets like some type of grimace on his face, that maybe he just had like a, a rumbling in his stomach or something, or he ate something that didn't agree with him, 
ate too much pizza or whatever. We're like, no, he looks unhappy. He's mad. His emotions are getting the best of him. And we just we pay so much attention to every little thing that goes on. Like, it's just... It's just a game, dude. It's, these, they're guys. They, they're, they're in front of us for six months out of the year, which is very generous of them to, to put themselves in the public eye for that long. So if Acuna doesn't hustle on a, on a ground ball or he doesn't hustle enough for somebody, it's just a, it's a weird thing to continue to be mad about. It's a very weird thing, especially when you like – if you're going to do it, you have to be consistent. And props to the person who went through like 60-odd instances of players on the Braves jogging out ground balls and nobody saying a thing. Like it, It's one of the dumbest things to be mad about. We all went through this last year where Acuna hustled on a ball he shouldn't have been hustling on and almost exploded his knee. And th- at that point, everybody was saying, hey, I like the hustle, but maybe tone it down and know and make sure to keep yourself to keep yourself safe. Well, now we've got a different narrative because he got yanked once. And this is one of the reasons why I did not like Snicker yanking him in the first place. You've built this narrative up, and then you got people like Chip Carey who have to interject it all the time. Oh, well, it looks like he's lollygagging there. Oh, it looks like he's very I'm lackadaisical. And that's quoting him because he doesn't know the word lackadaisical. Um, like, that, that's one of those things. You get an ignorant person who's just trying to crow about a talking point, a guy who still think pitcher wins have actual value. And instead, I have to deal with this from all sides now. And I, I have a, I have this weird thing, and Doc, I don't want to lump you in on this because you are a fan of the player I'm about to mention, but I do kind of believe there's a direct correlation between guys who think Nick Markakis is like a secret MVP of the Braves or, a, of a, or, or just a stud player and people that think that Acuna's lazy. I mean, I'm I see where you're coming from. I mean, I, I like Marcakis, and and there's no. They refer to them as intangibles because it's stuff that can't be measured, and and even for all the jokes about veteran presence and everything, it's not really something that you can you can actually put a number on. Which for stats nerds like you and me, that that's kind of difficult because you have to wonder like how much how much is it really working? How much does it really add? But yeah, I mean, you you kind of have a point. I mean, there's. If anything, when Acuna hustles, he hustles harder than anybody. So that's why it makes it really, really noticeable when he takes a play off or when he when he loafs on something. You know, and Marcakis is moving at the speed of molasses. God love him. He's he's not a very fast dude. So how much of a difference is it between Nick Marcakis busting his ass and Nick Marcakis not busting his ass? You almost can't even really tell. And it doesn't sound like I like him too much, but... People are real quick to defend Marcakis in the same way they're quick to defend Snitker. And and a lot of that has to do with the intangibles. And they they have kind of the track record. You can't hear about a, a, any type of national story about Snitker from somebody who's not Brave-centric without hearing about, oh, he's a baseball lifer, he's been in the organization since the 70s, and Nick Marcakis has this really long track record, He's he's earned everybody's respect, and then... You look at Acuna, it's like, oh, he's got all the talent in the world, but he's still wet behind the ears. He's still learning how to play the game the right way, which playing the game the right way is a very nuanced, interesting thing. Very touchy subject. And by the way, like you guys all know my story right now. Like I understand the intangibles aspect of it probably more than most fans do. I went a little bit farther in my career than most than most people do. Like I totally understand a guy who's not the best on the field but provides bigger boosts in the clubhouse, uh, who, who provides leadership not through yelling at people but, but by the way he goes about his business. I understand all of this stuff. My problem is 
like he's got this weird cult following who will overlook like all of his all of his bad on-field traits like the fact that he's slow and doesn't hit for power and you know doesn't field very well. Oh, but he's got a gold glove. Uh, you know, talking points like that. And if and if they were consistent with the logic, it wouldn't bother me so much, but you just mentioned there's a direct correlation between the people that do that for Marcakis and the people that do that for Snicker. And there's also a correlation between the people that find excuses for those two but are quick to criticize Acuna or Camargo when he was going through his, through his spell. Like it's the same type of stuff. If you're going to if you're going to do that, you have to be consistent. Otherwise, it just drives people like me crazy. And that you're getting into a territory where anybody that says you need to hustle on every single play did not play very long. There's there's something uh, really to, to be said about how hard a lot of these guys play. It, it, there really is, and in some cases, like even the most seasoned veterans, whether it's Marquez, like Marquez doesn't run everything out. Francisco Cervelli is not going to run every single thing out. So th- there there's going to be some some discrepancy there about. Like I said, some of it's the track record, some of it's the intangible some, some some of it might just be oh well I I just don't like this guy I don't like the swagger I don't like the chains I'm I'm very old school in the way that I like my game to be played or whatever but if you yeah if you look at Acuna and how he's like he's not busting it down the line you have to do the same thing for everybody else and and you know Freddie Freeman does it Danzy Swanson does it and nobody's really gonna bat an eye as long as they continue to play well. Acuna was playing well. He was getting MVP hype, which was kind of unwarranted. He was getting 40-40 hype, which is warranted. But then, as soon as he had a had a dry spell, then everybody's like, "Oh, well, I, I'm just you know, I'm I'm over him. I'm I'm sick of him uh, playing like he like he doesn't care." And they flip the switch just immediately. It's I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't I don't understand. Everybody should be able to the same standard. And it's almost like he's getting penalized for being the most talented player on the Braves and it just drives me up a wall. It, I, I don't I don't want to get talking about it too much or this is going to be an angry Dylan show and I don't want it to be an angry Dylan show. Um, so I'm going to move on from that topic and I'm only other thing I'm going to say left on this is Acuña could loaf everything for the rest of this year as long as he hits a home run in a big spot or continues being the best player on the Braves. Um then I don't really care. It didn't bother me when Manny Machado didn't hustle on that one play, and it didn't stop him from getting $300 million. So um, to all the armchair people who say, yeah, but you got to hustle every time out there, I would suggest that you actually watch your favorite players uh, and count how many times they actually run out a ground ball that's hit to the second baseman or hit to the shortstop because they don't. Because it's 99% that they're going to get thrown out. Um, but moving on from that, we mentioned that the Braves are playing the Nationals this weekend. Uh, yours truly will be at the game on Friday. So when you guys are listening to this in the morning, uh, anybody that's going out there, hit me up on the Twitters. Uh, and uh, love to meet up with y'all, introduce uh, introduce myself, and hey, maybe you can even buy me a beer. I'm not above charity. Um, but it's, more to the, to the series itself, it's an interesting, it's a fun matchup pitching-wise. And I think every matchup, is very well balanced between who's going against who. Thursday's going to be Max Freed and Steven Strasburg, which, by the way, you guys have no idea how pissed I am that I missed a Max Freed start by one day. Um, I think that I think that is a very – I think – how do I want to say this? I hate Steven Strasburg. I'm not going to lie to you. I absolutely hate him. Um, I think that's probably the most unbalanced matchup of the entire, of the entire series. And that's not – 
that's not to say that you know I don't think Max is great because Max on his A game can pitch with literally anybody in baseball. Um, but at this point in their career, Strasburg's probably probably a little bit probably better. No, probably he actually is better right now. As much as I hate to say it, um, it's supposed to be hot. So you know maybe we'll get that Steven Strasburg that's whining and crying by the fourth inning. And the Braves tend to score a lot of runs for Max Fried. So that that looks like a good start. Friday, the game I'll be going to is Dallas Keuchel and Patrick Corbin, which I think is a great matchup for what those two are. Uh, and really in two different ways. Corbin is such a heavy slider pitcher and a heavy strikeout guy. Uh, and Keiko, as we all know, is not with his 87-mile-an-hour two-seam. Was it uh, Saturday is Julio Tehran and Joe Ross, I believe, is who's announced as of right now. Um, leading to the crescendo on Sunday, which... Doc, I know this matchup has you drooling and probably has you in a little bit of a fluster uh, because it'll be Max Scherzer and Mike Soroka, and you're going to be hoping Ooh. you're going to be hoping for a one nothing game. Man, that's that is two of my favorite pitchers that in all of baseball right now. I've I've said a million times if I was going to start a, a franchise with anybody, it would be with Max Scherzer. That guy is an absolute freak of nature, and Mike Soroka. Is just such a joy to watch. I mean, you you guys know if you're listening. I mean, everybody loves Mike Soroka, and seeing those two, like, I would love for for the Braves to wind up taking that one. But it, if the Braves lose it, I mean, Scherzer is like he's in that elite tier. You can almost forgive and say, okay, this guy is unbelievable. But at the same time, you couldn't pick anybody else on the Braves staff who's better suited to go up against him. I mean, that's gonna be that is going to be a pitching clinic that day. If you are listening to this and you have a son or a daughter who is learning how to pitch, make sure he or she watches that game because that is going to be just two really great examples of how it is done. Two, God, they are two of the best. Hopefully, by by that point, the Braves will already be 3-0 in the series and, uh, you know, they'll have a lot of momentum going there and, they you know, we can talk about, oh, they, they can't let their foot off the gas or whatever. But, I mean, Scherzer, whew, He's tough. I mean, the Nationals pitching carried them even like even when the offense was scuffling and you know Trey Turner was out for a little bit and Juan Soto wasn't hitting like himself for a little while in the early part of the season. You know, in those pre May twenty fourth days. So Strasburg, Corbin, Scherzer, as far as like a top three goes, I mean that's that's elite level stuff. That's up there with the Astros for one of the best top threes you're going to find in all of baseball. And uh, you know we don't have to face Anibal Sanchez, which is you know. Based on what he did today against the Mets, that's that's really too bad. I think the the biggest weak spot in this um, in this entire series for Washington is going to wind up being Ross against Tehran, just because he's outside of that big three. I think that that's the one that, that the Braves will really be looking to to kind of chip away and really do some damage on them because they know runs are going to be at a premium against the other three. And I think the Braves have had good luck against Ross to this point in his career. I could be mistaken, but I, I feel like the Braves have hit pretty well against Ross. Um, shocker, He's anytime you have to face Scherzer and Strasburg in a series and then you face Ross, you're bound to hit better against that guy. Um, unless, you know, unless you're playing the Mets and you can beat DeGrom and Syndergaard and somehow Steven Matz dominates you. But for this series, the Braves have a couple decided advantages. One, the Braves lineup is better than Washington's lineup. It is deeper. Uh, Juan Soto is finally hitting like himself again, and he's, you know, Juan Soto's a stud. Uh, to Braves fans that hate Juan Soto, I will tell you, I do not hate Juan Soto. I really love watching him play. 
He's an outstanding hitter. He's a very instinctual hitter. Just a, a, an amazing batter's eye, discipline-wise. It, it, it's so rare to see him chase. Like, everything that, that Braves fans think about Marquecas, like, Juan Soto has that in spades. He's, he's just an incredible hitter. Um, and I love watching him play. But really, if you're Anthony Rendon, um, Trey Turner, for whatever reason, like, has it out for the Braves. I don't know if, like, we hurt him when he was young. As a as a young child or something, if he tried to get an autograph uh, from Walt from uh, Walt Weiss or Jeff Blauser and they snubbed him, um, but for whatever reason he loves playing Atlanta and he dominates us. Um, that's probably the only three that you really worry about, right? Is there anybody else I'm missing that that's just a uh, particularly noteworthy? I mean, Victor Robles is okay, oh. but you know, I, I I don't worry about him. I worry about the old friends, Matt Adams, Kurt Suzuki. I, I'm terrified that, that they're going to wind up coming and doing something that is just going to, you know, and there was amicable parting. You know, it wasn't like these these guys wound up getting getting traded and that they harbor ill will for the team outwardly. But I, I have a really bad feeling <laughs> that there's going to wind up being some critical juncture or one of those two guys just puts a dagger in us. You know, those, those are the ones for me. I mean, Ryan Zimmerman. You know his defense is is terrible. He's he's limited to to first base, but he always he always seems to to hit kind of well against the Braves too. So, and Howie Kendrick, I feel like earlier in the season, like he he's a pest. He and Trey Turner are are very similar against the Braves, and it's always like Jesus, how is this guy on base again? So, I, but on a more consistent basis, guys guys like Rendon, I mean. He, He's terrifying. I want to give him all of the money this offseason. I don't ever want to face him with somebody on base. It's the same way I feel about Soto. Uh, but I still take the Braves and Acuna, Ozzie, Freddie, Donaldson, Dansby. I take the Braves lineup overall, and as long as Tyler Flowers isn't in there, I take the Braves lineup overall. And I think where the Braves have the biggest advantage, so I think we could say you're tied one-to-one. Nationals have the advantage in the starting pitching. Uh, Braves have the advantage in the lineup. And the Braves have a gigantic advantage in the bullpen. Even for all of the the trades that wound up getting made, you know the we we know all about Green and Melanson and Chris Martin. You know the Nationals traded for three relievers as well. They got Daniel Hudson, Hunter Strickland, and Reynas Elias, and they still are having trouble with it. Everybody's going to talk about that that Nationals and Mets game where the Nationals mounted that seven run co- comeback and they they did this amazing thing. But what nobody's going to mention is the fact that the Nationals' bullpen had given up five runs in the top of that inning, too. And and one inning, uh, excuse me, one run in the inning before that. And, you know, Hudson and Elias were responsible for all six of those runs. So, they, you know, you got, you're leaning on Fernando Rodney, who is uh, about the same age as my grandmother, and Wander Suero, who, uh, okay. And and then you, you got your new guys, and I, they just... You never would have looked at the Braves at any point in the season and said, "Yeah, that's really a strength against this division rival." But, but yeah, man, Braves bullpen is really rounded into form recently. Knock on wood. Once again, it was the Sean Newcomb and the fire extinguisher incident. I think that was the last one that was really like real bad on the bullpen. There were there were one or two in there where I think this was right before Camargo got sent down, like one against the Mets where things got a little hairy, but that's because he he misplayed a couple balls or something like that. But for the most part, for the last three weeks, 
goodness gracious, it's been so nice not having to worry at the end of the night. And with the Braves' bullpen performing as well as they have, and the Braves being on that six-game win streak and the Nationals dropping the game yesterday, that puts the Braves seven games in the division, and the magic number is down to 17, which, uh, depending on how this weekend goes, that number could get close, could, uh, get close to single digits. Are you nervous? I'm not nervous at all. <laughs> Are you nervous like, about I could the... play it up for I could play yeah. it up for you guys here and tell you, oh yeah, no, it's, I'm super nervous. I'm not. Um, to me, now I obviously hope this doesn't happen. But even should the Braves get swept this weekend, I still wouldn't be nervous. The Braves are a better team. They just are. The Nationals have some good pieces. They have some really high end talent, but they don't have the depth that the Braves have top to bottom in their roster, and they're they don't. They're not as talented a team as the Braves are right now, and they're not playing as well as the Braves are right now. They're playing well, but everything they're doing, the Braves are matching. And it's how a team can can be like eleven games over five hundred or something like that. Some crazy. What are they like twenty four and sixteen or twenty four and ten or something like that? Twenty four and six since like the what's that arbitrary number from May twenty fourth? Some. Uh yeah. Like sixteen yeah. games over five hundred or something stupid. I don't know. One of y'all can correct me, but whatever they are. The Braves are like the exact same, if not one game better. Like the the Nationals have played that well, and they have not picked up a game. Like should the Braves win tomorrow or on Thursday, they will have their largest lead in the division since the season started, which lets you know anything the Nationals are doing, the Braves are doing better right now. So no, I'm not worried about them. I'm not nervous about this weekend at all. I, I feel good about it. Uh, the Braves have recently played some really good teams. Not not this one aside, but being able to beat the Dodgers, being able to beat the Twins. Like if we can beat those guys, why would I be worried about the Nationals? No, and <clears throat> even with you know the 2011 September collapse, you know that that was hard to watch. <clears throat> Excuse me, that was really really hard to watch, and uh, and and it almost kind of gets in the back of your head where you're like, you know, maybe maybe something like this could happen. But even even with the most monumental collapse, I mean, just for let's say that everything falls apart and the and the Braves wind up. Um, sucking for the rest of the way, which the way they're playing right now is horribly unlikely. But even with a collapse like that, the, the magic number to get into the playoffs is 12. And even if the Braves play 500 from here on out, the Nationals have to go like 20 and four. So they don't to win the division. So so it's not like it's not just up to the Braves. It, it's not just up to, to any one team. There's such a small amount of time left. You know, recording this on September 4th, the season's over in 24 days, which breaks my heart to say. But, I mean, it, at this point, you owe it to yourself to go to mybookie.ag and put a little bit of money on the, on the Braves making it to the playoffs. And it doesn't matter whether, whether the Braves win by one game or by 15 games. Just getting into the playoffs, going back for the second straight year, especially for as many talking heads were down on this team, for as many people crapped all over what the front office did, should they have made more moves during the offseason? Yeah, but they didn't, and they made them during the season, and what they wound up doing has really, really worked. And 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 that's not not to like praise the front office or anything like that. It's it's just interesting that when they realize, like, okay, we were wrong. This isn't working. We need to go and, and make a whole bunch of tweaks. And now we're staring down two consecutive division titles and the rebuild... You don't want to say it was worth it until you find yourself in a World Series or, or putting up some type of massive banner or something like that. But man, oh man, these are going to be some real interesting playoffs. At the point, at that point, 
right now where we still think that they have plenty more to go. Like this isn't just some uh, some random thing. Like this is going to be a thing for years to come. They might get better as the years actually go along. Um, but we do have to kind of leave off here for a second. We got we got a few more things to talk about, including uh, one choice that a lot of Braves fans think will make very easily. Uh, one player that we all should want back at, at one point and. Whether or not the celebrations have gone a bit too far. We'll touch on that coming up next right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Has the recent loss of a loved one hit you hard? Do you find yourself wishing they were still around without resorting to a Stephen King novel? Well, let us here at Borning and Taxidermy help you out. The industry leaders in human taxidermy, we offer a wide variety of poses to give your dearly departed the most lifelike appearance as possible. Choose from styles such as the Rapture, Penance and Sinner, Chastisement, Walker's Wind, and many, many more. No one can bring your loved ones back to life, but with Born Again Taxidermy, you'll swear they're right there with you. Patent pending. Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero Podcast, everybody. I'm still Doc Herbert, and with me, as always, is still Dylan Short. We've got a lot more to talk about in this segment, but before we jump back into the baseball talk, just wanted to have a little chat with you about Blue Chew. If you're an avid listener of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast, you've heard me say it a thousand times. Getting older is hell. You know, one day you're finding a great chest hair, and the next thing you know, you're having trouble pleasing your lady without help. But the good news is, there's no shame if you need that outside assistance, and Blue Chew is here to help you bring back the romance. This tiny blue pill that can help maximize your performance in bed, increase your confidence, and just take the pressure off. It's got FDA-approved ingredients, so you can be sure it's legit. You can take it on an empty stomach, so there's no need to wash it down. And because you chew it, it works twice as fast as a pill. It'll cut your prep time in half. And you can tell everybody you're using it if you want to, but since you might want to keep it under wraps, Blue Chew delivers to your door in a discreet package, so the UPS guy is not going to give you any funny looks or have any uncomfortable questions for you. And if you visit bluechew.com, that's B-L-U-E, chew.com, use our promo code armchair, you get your first order for free. All you pay is five bucks for shipping. Isn't your confidence worth five bucks? So once again, that's B-L-U-E, chew.com. You should know how to spell chew by now. Promo code armchair. Chew it and do it. Let's get down to it. That's Blue Chew. All right. So as we alluded to at the very end of the second half, we got a lot more to uh, a lot more to cover right here. Before we before we go any any farther, I do want to, as we tend to do in the, the start of the second segment here, thank everybody who has taken taken the time to uh, be generous enough to donate to our Patreon. Dylan, I know that you uh, are a member of the show here, but I do know that if uh, if you weren't, then you also would donate to our Patreon. Is that correct? Uh, I would donate everything I had. And you pretty much already have, and that's a that's a very noble gesture. We appreciate it. So to everybody who has uh, joined up, everybody, you know, we've had Megan and and Tara join us, and uh, in September we will wind up doing another Patron of the Month episode. So um, thank you to uh, to our remaining patrons for uh, putting their uh, their hat in the ring to come on and uh, join us for some baseball talk and to play some extra innings. But moving on to slightly more pertinent matters. In the last couple of days, rosters expanded. You know, we've seen a couple of different guys come up. A.J. Minter hasn't been used yet, but he is lurking out there in the bullpen. Bryce Wilson saw some time last night. 
they haven't, uh, he didn't really have that great of an outing. But one guy that came back up is Johan Camargo. And through his first two plate appearances, he hit a double and then hit a two-run home run this past weekend. I believe it was against the White Sox, and that kind of put that game out of reach. When we did our Periscope Live that, that Dylan teased at the, in the first segment, one thing that you actually had, had brought up was about how rigid his stance had become. He had the... Why don't you tell everybody what you saw beforehand, and we can kind of break down what he has done since then to correct that. Okay. So one of the things about Camargo, one of the things uh, that that makes him have so much trouble with timing every every once in a while is he has the bat on his shoulder wrapped a little bit around the back of his head. He stands very upright, and he has a really high leg kick. But before getting sent down, he looked very, very stiff in his stance. There wasn't a lot of flex going on. Um, it was it was all kind of uptight. His arms were held close to his body. And what would happen is if his timing was, was just the tiniest bit off, and I talked about this on the Periscope, so you guys can kind of go back and verify, make sure I don't sound like an idiot here, but... Uh, but, but when it's when it's all structured that way, your timing has to be perfect. Uh, and if it's not, you roll over or you're swinging and missing because he has that high leg kick and he's got the extra time added of lifting the bat off of his shoulder again before getting started into his load. Well, when he got sent down to Gwinnett, and Doc, you and I were keeping an eye on him as always because we're big fans of the Camargo, um, one of the things we were noticing was this insanely high Babbitt where he was just absolutely crushing the ball. And a lot of it, we you know, we have to wonder, is it the AAA ball or is he kind of figuring something out? And ju- it's too early to really judge being back up here, but just looking at him, he looks a whole lot more relaxed at the plate. Uh, he- he's got a little bit more bounce in him. He- he's not quite so rigid and tight in his stance. You can see he's a little bit more loose, and it's allowing him to get started quicker. He's not having to to move as robotically, I guess is the way to say it. Uh, there's a lot more free-flowing in his movement and it's a lot more similar on both sides of the plate now, whereas before, his lefty swing and his righty swing were a little bit different. Uh, and everybody's is a little bit different. Ozzy's is a little bit different left and right, too. Uh, Chipper's was one of the most different, where he had kind of two totally different stances left and right. But Camargo looks to be a lot more similar lefty and righty now, uh, and it was really, really good to see him get two, two hard-hit balls, two real stingers uh, right off the bat. Had to be good for his confidence as well. And yeah, you, the the way that everything had looked before, with uh, with how rigid and tense he had gotten, it just it was almost uncomfortable because it was like you could you could almost feel how tightly he was squeezing his hands around the bat and everything. And so seeing him hit that double left-handed and seeing him hit the home run right-handed, and granted, very small sample size that, that we're dealing with here. It's just he's such an asset to this team when he's on. And you can't say enough about what a Danny Hechevarria did when he came over. He restored a little bit more confidence in the defense. He started hitting really well, which wasn't even why he came here in the first place. But all things considered, Johan Camargo, when he's on, is a better option than a Danny Hechevarria. Not just the fact that he's a switch hitter, not just the fact that he's got positional versatility, he can play some outfield if you really need him to. I mean, we saw what happened when he got regular playing time. So it, that's huge to see. And we also, on the Periscope, we talked about a really great question. I think it was from Matt Maneri asking about the playoff roster and who's going to make it and who's not. Camargo, if he has a good September, he could make a strong case for himself to wind up back in the playoffs and redeem himself because he, he really kind of 
I think he put up an over in the playoffs last year, like over. Over fourteen, I thought it was over fourteen in the playoffs last year. Now, granted, we we remember that from Camargo, but he wasn't alone. Kind of everybody offensively, aside from Acuna, kind of sucked in the playoffs last year. For being honest, uh, Freddie Freddie was not good last year either. Um, but for Johan, and we did talk about that in the Periscope, and I do believe you're right that it was Matt Maniri. So, Matt, if you're listening, congrats on getting into the show like three times now. Um, if Camargo is hitting, you pretty much have to carry him because Charlie Culberson, which I'm not sure if we didn't talk about this on the recording. We talked about it before the show started. Charlie Culberson is not hitting at all. And I don't think there's any way that Charlie doesn't make the postseason roster. He's definitely going to make it. But if Charlie's not hitting well going into the postseason, that makes Camargo that much more imperative because, as you mentioned, despite that, despite the fact that Adani Echeverri has been hitting well, uh, in the small sample since coming over. He is a horrendous hitter. Um, Rafael Ortega is, has been okay, but not really hitting, uh, and he's not really all that versatile. Uh, Adam Duvall was not hitting when he got sent down. Riley, you can consider, but we got to figure he's going to be a starter when he comes back up. So who do you turn to off the bench? If Charlie's not hitting, it's got to be Johan. That's true. And And when you start looking at the different pieces you could carry, you know, somebody like Billy Hamilton, who I think is almost a shoe-in to wind up making the postseason roster, he's limited in, you know, he, he's strictly an outfielder. He came up as a shortstop, but he's just an outfielder now. And he you, you're going to rely on him for his defense and for his speed. You're not going to rely on him for his hitting. Um, Joyce, you can rely on him for his hitting in a pinch, but if you need to wind up having somebody go out and make a start in the infield, heaven forbid something should happen to one of our infielders, uh, Camargo has shown that he can he can play on the left side of the infield as well. The defense, well, that he was still struggling with the defense when he wound up going down to down to Gwinnett. I think he made four errors in thirteen games. So um, he's kind of a warm body to put out there now. I'm sure he's working with with Wash out there on, on refining his defensive skills. But you know, he he is the type of guy. He's kind of a, a real X factor. Charlie Culberson, everybody loves him because he's a Swiss Army knife. But if, if he's not hitting, he's 0 for his last 27 with 13, 14 strikeouts. I mean, that's not going to get it done. No, and, and we've seen time and time again that Charlie's a guy that needs to play off the bench in a one at-bat. The more at-bats Charlie gets in a game, the worse he normally performs. And some guys are just like that. Some guys are, are just clutch performers. It's one of those clutch genes that you can't really measure uh, analytically. And for whatever reason, Charlie picks his game up in the biggest moments just right now, he's not, and he's had a, a string of where he was starting for a while, uh, and we saw firsthand what happens when he starts getting too many starts in a row. All of a sudden, pitchers realize, hey, I can just throw him this, and he doesn't hit. Like Charlie hits one type of pitch really, really well. He's a very specialized hitter, uh, and, and when you expose him to three or four at-bats in a game, pitchers notice that, and they know that they don't have to throw that pitch to him, and he'll get himself out. And we've talked all year long about this Braves bench being so much better than it was a season ago. Well, if you go into it with Charlie, with the struggles he's having, uh, Echeverria, Billy Hamilton, uh, even say Tyler Flowers if you want to run three catchers, then really Matt Joyce is the only one off the bench who's worth anything offensively. And, And then in actuality, it wouldn't be all that much better than it was a year ago, other than the fact that Rene Rivera wouldn't be on it. Yeah, and and Ryan Flaherty, while he served his intangible purpose of being, um, you know, being the rocket fuel for for Marquez in twenty eighteen. Yeah, I mean that that was 
the team was thrust into a really uncomfortable point last year going into the 2018 playoffs with Dansby's injury. I mean, that happened with like eight games left in the season. So Culberson started, I think, every single game at shortstop during uh, during the NLDS. And now you can actually make a case to where if something happens, you know, there are a lot of guys not just in the bullpen, or excuse me, not just on the bench, but also in the bullpen where you can say, man, it would be a shame if, if we don't get to bring this guy along. But having those options, like th- those are hard decisions to make, but they're really good ones to have to make. So Charlie's going to be on the roster. Camargo might be. And you never know. If you Part of the reason why Charlie got so many at-bats was because they were trying to do the strict lefty-righty platoon, Joyce and Ortega against, uh, against lefties. And for a while, it was Culberson and Riley. Um, but then Riley went down and Culberson stopped hitting. So it's pretty much been uh, Matt Joyce has been the, the man of the hour. Uh, whether it's been lefties or righties. So, I don't know, man. I, I think that, that you could really see a case where, where Camargo winds up on the postseason roster, which would infuriate a lot of people who were who got just sick of him, the Andrew Boyers of the world, in uh, in August. So, love, love to see it, man. Like you said, we were both huge fans of his, and I'd love to see nothing more for him to turn everything back around. And it would it would very much be poetic justice for him to come out and have some huge moment in the postseason. Um I would be crowing about that for a while. I'm just going to let you guys know. <laughs> no, and, and no doubt about it. And the, that's the type of redemption story that the playoffs are made for. You know, Kelby Tomlinson hitting a, a clutch home run for the Giants a couple years ago against the Mets. I remember that happening and thinking, man, I don't know anything about this guy, but he's got some fantastic glasses. You know, you look at somebody somebody like Camargo who just scuffled all season long, invariably he's going to be the type of dude who comes up in that situation and – you know, it's kind of a make-or-break type thing, and hopefully he can he can play up to the moment and fill the, the role that, uh, that Charlie got so good at filling for, for the longest time. And the Braves are going to need him to. I mean, Camargo is an integral part to this team when this team is at their best, so looking ahead at that, um, it, it's not... It's not unfair to say that Camargo is a could be a real X-factor for the Braves in the playoffs. And speaking of Braves and awards or labels that we can give them, uh, there's starting to be a lot of chatter around the baseball world that Josh Donaldson deserves the Comeback Player of the Year award. And I know my thoughts on it, but before I really dig into mine, what are your thoughts? I know Anthony Trarig over at uh, Talking Chop, um, John Heyman's greatest enemy. Uh, Anthony's not even credentialed. He uh, he wrote a really great piece that, that dove into that. And, you know, I, I wholeheartedly agree with it. I'm trying to look around and see, you know, you look at, anybody else who it could wind up kind of wind up being and you know maybe Strasburg or like a Hyunjin Ryu type yeah but I mean like Ryu had a QO attached going into this year and um Strasburg I mean he was he's been great this year but he was he was even okay last year Donaldson I mean there were people that swore to God his career was over and now what he's done he set himself up either he's gonna get some money whether it's from the Braves or or not he's he has looked kind of like the Josh Donaldson of old. Rock solid defense, killer power to right center, just such a great, wonderful player. To, what an asset to have on your team. Another, <laughs> we keep coming back to the intangibles. I mean, he's he's got it. He's got that that good juju and that, that good piece that you need on a team just like this. So, I mean, correct me if I, I don't even know if there's anybody else that would really be in the running for it. So what do you think? I think he most definitely should be. You mentioned Hinge and Ryu, but Ryu was really good last year too. Like 
he, I, I think for a comeback player of the year, it has to be somebody who was hurt the year before or somebody who did not play well at all. Uh, like That's why it was so great to see Johnny Venters win it last year and won it in both leagues, I'm pretty sure. Um, but for, for Donaldson, I do think that he should be the comeback player of the year because he's come back and not just come back to playing well off the injuries, but come back to playing almost like he hadn't missed a beat. There's a little bit of difference there, like average-wise, which you you know how much I care about batting average. Um, he's not the the 285 to 300 type of hitter that he was in his MVP years, but the power is absolutely still there. Uh, the defense is still there. Some of the range is a little bit down, but that that's just a testament to how good defensively he was before. He, as of this moment, you're talking about a guy that is second on his team in war, I believe, and that's only trailing Ronald Acuna, one of the I think you and I can say top three players in the National League, which we'll dis- uh, we'll discuss in here in just a second as we get into our MVP discussions. Um, but Donaldson is what, on pace for uh, is he on pace for about a six four season? Roundabout, I, I think that'll be about right. The the defense is kind of helping keep him afloat. He's rating out as a positive defender this year, which the the eye test certainly lends uh, credo to as well. Yeah, so he's at four point four right now. So. He'll be about a five-war player, I would say. Five to 5.3, should all things considered, these last three weeks, which is, for a guy coming off injury like that and a guy who's getting up there in age, that's an outstanding year. So he would have my vote. I don't get a vote. I should have a vote. Um, I don't get one, but if I did, Donaldson would get that vote. And just speaking of other awards, there's been a lot of talk, uh, mostly on Braves Twitter here, about uh, Freddie and a lot of people who are kind of getting upset that Freddie's not talked about in the MVP discussion, but uh, you're you're not one of those people. I mean, Freddie's great, and he's having a career year, and that that's part of it, too, is that that we like him so much. Everybody loves Freddie Freeman. Like, I, you know, you look at guys like Bryce Harper, and he, he's just like a villain type. You know what I mean? And guys like Yasiel Puig, and there's guys out there that are, that are mega talented, but but people just tend to hate them. And then you look at guys like, Freeman, who's in that Mike Trout level of like, oh my God, this is just the most genuinely nice human being, and he just happens that he's crushing it over here. He's, you know, Freddie's going to get the 44 home runs this year, driving 130 runs, and he's going to hit over 300, and that's great, but that's, Cody Bellinger's like already there, and he's not going to need three more weeks to do it, you know what I mean? I love, I absolutely love Freddie Freeman, but he's not... It's okay that he's not in the MVP conversation. I love Ronald Acuna too, but it's okay that he's not in the MVP conversation. Like, call me crazy, but I don't think either of them even, like, maybe a couple third-place votes. I don't think that either of them are going to get any notoriety for it. I'm going to disagree with you on Acuna. I think because Acuna has a real shot at going 40-40, that is something that's so rarely done that that would garner attention. Uh, and despite the fact that Bellinger has 44 homers already, despite the fact that Yelich has 43 homers, to see a guy go 40-40 is a little bit different, and Acuna sitting at 4.9 war there. Now, if the voters are going strictly off war, it's going to be Cody Bellinger easily. And quite honestly, it should be. Bellinger is has been the best player in the National League this year, and Christian Yelich has been right behind him. Like Cody Cody Bellinger's been worth like seven war already. Like it, it's... It's been a Mookie Betts level season, which kind of lets you know just how insanely good Mike Trout is. That we're talking about Cody Bellinger having this insane sort of season that he could be better than a forty forty type of guy. Then you go over and you look at what Mike Trout's doing in the American League. 
uh, and he's already at 8.7. Mike Trout's had like four different seasons in his career that were twice as good as what Ronald Acuna has done this year, and that, after watching Acuna for like 137 games this year or whatever the exact number is, that's preposterous. That's Listen. the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Listen, Mike Trout is going to get to nine war this year. He's point three away. He'll probably get to it by the end of the week. Uh, once he does, there will be two seasons in two full seasons in his career where he has finished under nine war. Freaking unbelievable! One where he's finished under seven, and that was a six point eight in hundred and fourteen games. So when you start looking, I mean, and Mike Trout's in a in a class all all his own. But I mean, when Mike you, Trout when you, is Mike Trout. He just gets judged on the Mike Trout scale, right? And and that's you know we we talked in the first segment about everybody should be held to the same standard. Not Mike Trout. He, he's he's <laughs> no. Different. I mean, he doesn't have any peers. Like they're like you're you're judged according to your peers and and your appropriate level of talent. There are no peers for Mike Trout. No doubt. And and so then when you wind up, you look. At the, the sorry, next, by the way, sorry, DJ LeMayhew fans. Get, get out of here with that. You know, <laughs> LeMayhew was the was one of the best under-the-radar signings of the offseason. No question. he That was a great deal. But I think even Brian Cashman would tell you we we were not anticipating that. You know, he, and he's having a great season. But but Trout is, he's a legend. He's a legend at 20, how old is he? 28? 28 years old. And then you look at what, what guys that are everybody else around him is doing. He's just kind of dwarfing everybody. But that, that's not to downplay what Cody Bellinger has done, what Christian Yelich has done, even, even somebody like Cattell Marte. And you're right about the fact that he's tailed off in the second half. But, I mean, being able to play at that high of a level through an entire season, like everybody's going to go through a slump at this point. Everybody on, on this Braves team has gone through a slump at this point. Acuna seems to be kind of coming out of his now. But even if he's going to turn on the afterburners for the next month, he's still going to finish at 6 war. And while it's not the end-all, be-all of stats, you, you start comparing that against what the guys ahead of him have done. Same thing for Freddie. He gets dinged a little bit unfairly for, for his defense, which I think that the, the metrics for first-base defenders are kind of wonky a little bit. Offensively, he's great, and part of the reason we we want him to be MVP. I was completely indignant that Ozzy Albies did not wind up getting uh, selected as a starter for uh, for the All Star team. But then when I dug into the numbers and I kind of took away my my Braves bias, I was like, okay, well this actually makes perfect sense, and I hate that. And and it's not to take away anything from Freddie. Freddie's a great player, and he's sitting right at four ward this year, which is not which. That's good for a first baseman. I mean, Freddie's an outstanding hitter, and they Fangraphs, while they did all they could to kind of adjust catcher war last year, they really need a stat for like errors saved for a first baseman because it's not in true defense that Freddie shines. It's like picking, it's catching the ball, it's scoops, it's stretches, it's it's making other infielders better as opposed to traditional defense of, of you know, range and stuff like that, which Freddie doesn't have a ton of range, but he doesn't need to with Ozzy right there. So what Freddie does, he does as as good, if not better, than any other first baseman in baseball. Um, and again, it's not to say that Freddie's not an elite talent. He certainly is, but there are levels to elite, and it's no shame that Freddie's not going to win an MVP this year. And I, I, like, Freddie would be third on the Braves as far as an MVP discussion, in my opinion. Uh, he'd be behind Donaldson, and he would certainly be 
behind Ronald Acuna, and you could make the argument that he'd be behind Mike Soroka as well. I was just just about to ask um, whether or not it would be Donaldson or Soroka uh, that you would have as other. Acuna was was the obvious one, but I was curious. I always do I always do position players over pitchers just because they play so much more. Um, but you can't deny what Soroka has been doing this year, sitting at three point seven, and he's got the the best homer uh, homers per nine rate of anybody in Major League Baseball. And that includes giving up two the other day in the Blue Jays game. Yeah, I mean, that bumped him up to a point five nine in an era where everybody's hitting homers. Point five nine, the horror. Um, I, and Soroka, Soroka is another one where, you know, Hyunjin Ryu was pretty much a lock for Cy Young for the longest time, and he's he's got some regression going on right now, and that's too bad because what Soroka has done, you know, he's not striking out a ton of guys, but as as we, I mean, that's that's not necessarily his game. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. He makes guys earn it. He's He's uh, not giving up a lot of barrels. I mean, in any other year, you could make a legit case for the fact that this guy is 21 years old or just just turned 22, I think. And, like, he could be an outside candidate for the Cy Young. He could also be an outside candidate for Rookie of the Year, but if Pete Alonso doesn't win Rookie of the Year, I don't even know what to tell you. I mean, that guy's a freak. He's an absolute freak. And once again... Freddie's not going to be MVP. Acuna's not going to be MVP. Soroka's not going to win either of these, but that's okay. You know, they're all just hardware. Right, and ultimately those those awards don't ultimately matter. That's not the award that any of them are really shooting for. They're all shooting for the same award, and that's a World Series championship. Uh, and, and for those guys, if you're just giving out Braves awards, my Braves MVP is still going to be Ronald Acuna. I mean, he's he's been the most electric player. He's been one of the most – he might be one of the most dynamic players in all of baseball, whether or not we say that he's – uh, you know, Bellinger or, or Yelich this year, which he's not been those two this year. He's still been every bit of as electric when you consider what he does on the base paths as well and what he does leading off of ball games. But for the Braves, they don't really need uh, they don't really need to have a, an MVP. I still think Acuna will win multiple MVPs in his career, but he's you know twenty one years old. They're, they're, he's literally just scratching the surface of how good he's going to be. Uh, and, and for Braves fans, this kind of feels like something where. We get upset just for the sake of being upset. Where to me, it's not really a competition. This isn't the year. It's like trying to be a pitcher and thinking you were going to win the Cy Young last year after the year Jacob Degrom won it. Like, yeah, you might have been a Cy Young caliber pitcher, but you weren't Jacob Degrom. And there's no shame in that when you're talking about guys pulling historic seasons. You mentioned Pete Alonso, who has a real chance to break Aaron Judge's rookie home run record. It's just, it's a good year for baseball when you're viewing it in that lens. And for the Braves, you know. They kind of enjoy being that overlooked team a little bit. So I don't know that they're overlooked, um, but I think you and I are on the same page. Um, not any of our guys are going to win the national awards, uh, other than a few gold gloves maybe. I think we'll, we'll, Ozzy will win a gold glove, I would think. Uh, I think Freddie will probably win one this year. I think he's got a real shot at winning another one this year. That would be about it. I think so. Uh, Ozzy's defense this year, they, they flashed some graphics up on, uh, it might actually been on the Tuesday night game, talking about he's only got four errors all season. Um, best fielding percentage, and these are these are kind of archaic stats to lean on, but, you know, evaluating UZR and, and range factor and all that all that stuff. I mean, gold, gold Glove is a pretty antiquated award anyway, so they're going to use antiquated stats to, to measure it. He really has just been so sure-handed over there, and he's made so many freakish plays. I mean, having 
having the right side of the infield like that, and even though Dansby Dansby's not going to win a Gold Glove either, but he he's had some uh, he's had some really flashy plays um, just in last night's game against uh, Toronto. One of the double plays that he turned was gorgeous, man. It was the the defense. You know, people people wanted to get mad about you know prioritizing defense and speed. You know, we should be prioritizing power. We should basically become the the Minnesota Twins of the National League. And and with the ball being what it is, I, there there's probably something to that. But it's just it's great to see how many really good defenders have have wound up on this team. Um, I will avoid a Tyler Flowers joke right now, just because I'm I'm not feeling like being too savage on that. But uh, yeah, I think you're right about I think you're right about Ozzy and Freddie too. And you, to go back to something you said a minute ago, the idea of the errors saved stat that's a good one. I th- I think that they're going to wind up tweaking the the first base metrics, and I'd be surprised if something along those lines. Um, basically first base framing or first base saving going in there too. I'd be surprised if something like that's not included. And as soon as that is, Freddie's defense will jump up the same way that a lot of catchers uh, career wars all of a sudden jumped up. But we, we're we running out of time on the show. I do have one other thing I want to talk about. Uh, I think everybody's on the same page of we, we should definitely try to re-sign Josh Donaldson. Now we can offer him a, a we can do a QO so uh, if he accepts it, it's like $19 million. If he doesn't, the Braves get a draft pick out of it. So they're in good position with Donaldson. But it's not just Donaldson that you're talking about in that case. Um, the Braves, unless you think that they're going to substantially increase payroll, which they may, I mean, there's no there's no telling. And by substantially increasing, I'm not talking about, you know, all of a sudden you're $200 million. I mean, the Braves could increase to $166 million, and you're talking about a $40 million increase. Um, they could go to 150, and that's a 30 million dollar increase. But you're talking about if they don't increase their payroll, they try to stay around the same page. There, they're going to have to make a choice. And Doc, you and I have been talking about Julio Tehran's resurgence all year long. I believe he's only given up 16 home runs this year, which for him is an insanely low number. And we've talked about how he's pitched himself to where the Braves would like to pick up his option. In our mind, I was thinking about this today. And I'm not so sure if they would for the simple fact that if they want to stay around 120 to $125 million on the payroll, they're probably they're going to have to choose between Julio or Dallas Keuchel if they could get Keuchel to take you know a $13 or $14 million deal. And they've been similar pitchers, but if you can only pay one of them, I don't see a way that the Braves would, would take on Julio's contract if they thought they could get Keuchel for the same money. That is such a hard thing to consider. It it really is, and and the uh, whatever happens in the playoffs will probably wind up factoring in this too. They were real conservative with the, with the payroll, which was very very well documented. But they haven't been particularly reluctant to spend during the season, bringing on Keuchel, taking on Melanson's money, uh, bringing on uh, Shane Green added added a couple couple million dollars. You know they they haven't haven't been shy about adding mid season, but. And and that was that was by design. Anthopoulos mentioned that you know we have to leave room for some uh, acquisitions during the season because of that. And I think I think that you're right. Everybody's aligned that we should be bringing back Donaldson, even even if Riley is the long term future or, or whatever you think about Austin Riley. I mean, Josh Donaldson is a star. You know, he he's like he's so instrumental to the success of this team. So if they're going to do that, you're right. It's going to come down to. Julio versus Keuchel. Now, Julio has the option. His option is $12 million for next year. Keuchel, Keuchel's making $13 million this year. And 
because he neither of these guys really rely on velocity, you I don't think you have to worry as much about um you know, Julio's already had to reinvent himself once. Keichel was never exactly a flamethrower. So if you wind up signing Keichel to a, a deal that's a couple of years, he might be a better option just because he's a lefty. You know, you could get somebody for cheaper to do what Julio has done this year, even for as much as we love him in it. And and that breaks my heart to, to even consider a, a Braves team without Julio Tehran on it. But I do wonder... If they do offer the qualifying offer to Josh Donaldson, and let's say that he takes it, so that'll that's another one-year deal for $19 million. It frees up a little bit of money right there. If you pick up Julio's option, maybe you could try and architect a deal with Keuchel to where it's backloaded a little bit more. Even, even if you sign him to like a three-year deal where he's making like $9 million next year, and then he's making $15 million by the time that deal is out. To where you can bring the band back together next year, and then when you're not paying Donaldson and you're not paying Julio in pre in uh, subsequent years, then you can still wind up having enough money left over for Keigel. But that that's just me trying to be completely idealistic. And that's and also, by the way, that's and I hate to burst your burst your bubble, but that's also it's not happening. Well, one, it's probably not happening to get Keigel to to play for nine million when he held out for twenty until like midway through the season. Um, but that's not factoring in extensions. So you got to yeah. find money in the budget yeah. for Freddie. You got to find money in the budget for Dansby. You got to find money in the budget for for Max or Soroka. Now the Braves could alleviate all of these concerns by moving to like one hundred and forty to one hundred and sixty million dollar payroll, which you know that's my vote. And who knows where they? I I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, Boggy, I know you're still listening, so if you could hit me up with those numbers so we can <laughs> we could be slightly better informed for the end of 2018 versus the start of 2019 and how much the payroll changed between that. Because they, they're comfortable enough now to, to carry this, but I think it's because they also know that, that the World Series is like a real consideration here. And I think that in a year where they, they know that that's a possibility, they would be much more apt to say, all right, we're going to push our chips into the center here and try and make something of this. We're going to carry a, a slightly larger payroll. But once again, that's just me being idealistic. I, I'm, I'm swept up in Braves fever right now, so don't listen to me. <laughs> and not to burst that bubble one more time, but I can't really use the salaries for this season as an evaluation because everybody did get like that $56 million increase for, uh, for, for the sale to, was it the Disney sale? The bam, yeah. yeah. So the, every team got an extra like fifty six million dollars to play with, and a lot of the deals that Alex made have been one year deals or where they're front loaded, um, and there's not a lot of money that's going over. Melanson's is one of the few, really. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. I hope I have I really do hope that uh, that the Braves see the success they're doing this year, and they they strive to keep everybody together and still add better talent. So, which case they would have to get themselves to like a middle of the pack payroll, and I, I don't want to bust on them too much for this, so I'm going to end it here. Um, whatever they decide to do this year, viewed in a vacuum, I still think we we can view this as the most fun Braves team I've ever witnessed, uh, and, and and I don't think anything's going to change that. And even if they could bring back most of the band next year, the Braves have enough coming up in the system to where it looks like the good times are just going to keep on rolling for the foreseeable future. Uh, injuries and, and and guys failing notwithstanding, this team is set up for, for a major run for a long time. So it, it's good to see 
patience finally paying off for those of us that uh, that sat through the rebuild. And I'm not going to be one of those guys that wants to lord over you that I sat through the rebuild and you didn't. So even if you're just jumping on the bandwagon this year, welcome aboard. Yeah, stick around. I mean, good good times are, you know, last year was unexpected. This one is expected uh, next year. Next year and for the next five, six years, I mean, there's a reason why we all fell in love with prospects like we did. I mean, these there's a lot coming. So welcome aboard and uh, head up, Dylan, if you're at a game this Friday. That's right. For those of you who didn't catch it earlier in the show, I will be at the Braves game on Friday. Hit me up on Twitter if you guys want to meet up and uh, we'll – introduce i'll introduce myself to y'all and uh it'll be a good old time i love meeting the listeners here at the show uh maybe talk some baseball a little bit and uh maybe enjoy a frosty beverage so for those of you that made it to the end of the episode thank you guys so much as always uh really appreciate you guys each and every week giving us your listens and, and dedicating dedicating some time out to listen to us just uh talk some baseball doc pleasure as always and to those of you by the way listening right now uh congratulate doc because this week he edited the show for the first time ever. This is a Doc Herbert production. Well, don't thank me yet. <laughs> we might wind up having a, some type of crisis moment where we have to pull this episode down or re-edit on the fly. But uh, but yeah, uh, now I'm I'm slowly gathering my powers. So uh, thank you for teaching me how to do this. We are we're, we're in constant evolution as a team and a partnership, and that's why the Platinum Sombrero is the best in the business. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Mm-hmm.